This morning, uh, we're going to wrap up our series entitled Holy and Human. We've been on this journey for the past five weeks. We've been studying together those things that seek to trip us up. Those very real things that are a part of our everyday life that slow us down and cause us to trip in life. The series revolves around verse 1 of Hebrews uh, chapter 12, which says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have discussed now the, the, the spiritual walls, those difficulties that are hurdles in life over the past several weeks. Uh, and, and, and maybe you're like me and you enjoy, uh, I, I've shown you guys some in the past and I've been, it's been outlawed because I got in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't get in any trouble. But uh, you've seen fail videos before, you know, where people mess up. Have you ever watched people trying to run hurdles while they are exhausted? No? Do it. Google it this afternoon. I mean, goodness sakes, if you, if you, have, if you want any entertainment uh, that can come from the internet, it's Googling or, or, or YouTube searching uh, for misjumping hurdles or anything like, just type in hurdles. Uh, it's very entertaining to watch people who are exhausted try to run uh, over a hurdle at the end of a race um, or at the beginning of a race if they don't know what they're doing. Especially those hurdles, I forget the kind of the race it's called, but when they have to jump over and then land in water. Uh, oftentimes they land very spectacularly uh, for our entertainment. I'm pretty sure they do it on purpose just to make millions of dollars on YouTube. Our lives represent that reality very often. We face hurdles in life. We've been talking about the hurdles of disappointment, temptation, frustration, fear, and trouble in this life. We will experience those hurdles. They are not what-ifs. They are whens. We know that life will give us difficulty. We know that we will face temptation. We know that life will come out of seemingly nowhere and cause us trouble. And this morning, we're going to talk about another one of the hurdles of life, something we will experience, and it's the subject of doubt. Doubt. It's a fun word to spell. It's got a B in there. It's a fun, fun word to say. Some of you say it weird from up here in Pennsylvania. We experience doubt in life, right? Uh, doubt is what causes you and me to sometimes read the fine print, or maybe it's your spouse who does a better job of doubting the publisher's clearinghouse uh, winning notification that comes to your, your house, or the notification from the car dealership that says, you have just won this brand new car. And then as we read the fine print, we find out that no, in fact, we didn't win unless insert number of things criteria here, right? You got to name your firstborn Ford. You got to sell, sell your kidney, you know, and then you may have one still. Uh, doubt is what causes us to read the fine print. Uh, doubt is what causes uh, us to say things like, that's just too good to be true when we hear something. Doubt is what causes us maybe to roll our eyes and shake our heads when someone in our relationships tells us their story, right? See this face? This is a doubting face. When someone tells me something that's just a little bit out there, usually this face comes back on when they leave, right? Because I'm a pastor. <laughs> you ever doubt 
We have experiences in our life that causes sometimes, maybe you hear it in language like this, as we try to explain ourselves, because we are people who doubt, we try to add little extras to the things that we say. Inappropriately sometimes, we'll, we'll say a statement and someone will give us that, that look and we'll say, no, 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 I, I swear. No, 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 I, I, would, I have no reason to lie about this. And the whole time we're doing this, Right? We are people who live in a culture that is reduced to the reality that we have things worthy of doubting. And I think if we're honest, we don't just take our cue from culture on uh, things in stores that uh, cause us to say that's too good to be true or things in culture. I, I think we have allowed ourselves and the enemy loves nothing more than for us to allow doubt to creep into our spiritual lives as well. In our spiritual lives, maybe we've grown up in the church and we've had all kinds of... I'm going to grab a tissue. This is not an illustration. I'm really going to wipe my nose. (laughs) Sorry. I walked off camera so Pastor Bob doesn't see that one. Cut that part out. In our spiritual lives, maybe we've grown up in the church. Maybe we've experienced spiritual things. We've been around uh, the church for years, decades even. And yet there's still something small inside of us that on occasion we feel that little hesitancy to buy in fully to what we think we know. I've told you guys before that as a kid growing up in the church, my dad's been a pastor my whole life. I've told you guys that as a a, a kid I was sitting in my room in upstate New York and, and I sat there in my room and I was debating with myself whether God was really real, whether this thing our family was about was legitimate or not. And I told God that I'll believe in you if you'll just move my Bible from that side of the room to this side of the room. I'd love to tell you that he did it, but actually I'm more proud in a good holy way to tell you that he didn't. And I still stand before you, a man sold out to my faith in Jesus Christ. Doubt is something that we will experience in our life. It's very real. In Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, we see doubt creeping in as the enemy attempted and did such a good job of distracting Eve from what she knew. He influenced her with that seed of doubt and saying, did God really say? And he wriggled his words into her life and she chose a path of sin and we have been suffering ever since. Sidebar, Ezra was sick this past week. You ever get shown up by your kids? If you don't, they're not as good as my kids. Ezra was sick and he had, he had been sick. He had a cold and And then it turned into his stomach, and he was just miserable. And one night while he was being sick, he cried out, Dad, I hate sin. He's being sick, and uh, sin's the furthest thing from, uh, the, the closest thing to my mind is get a trash can to him. And he just yells out, I hate sin. And I was taken aback by it, and I went, what did you say? And he said it again, I hate sin. He said, if we didn't have sin, I wouldn't be sick right now. Ah! Wiping my nose again. (laughs) Doubt's a part 
of our spiritual lives. It's been influenced by the enemy. It seeks to destroy us. It seeks to trip us up. We have an opportunity as we face life's doubts to stand in opposition to it. Just like all of the other hurdles, we can actually jump over those hurdles and keep our eyes on the prize. Just like all the other things that seek to entangle us and slow us down from this race we are running, we can say to doubt, get behind me, get away from me. We can learn to do that. And we have an ally in the doubt area in Scripture. Maybe most of you know the famous story of the Bible's most famous doubters. His name's Thomas. Most of us know his story and why we call him Doubting Thomas. We're going to look at a passage of John chapter 20. We're going to catch his, his part of the story in the Gospels, Doubting Thomas. But I want to give you a little bit of context before we read this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture takes place on Resurrection Sunday. This is after the culmination of all the sin and weight upon Jesus' shoulders He had suffered and bled and died on a cross in front of the public sector. He had given up himself and was buried and praised Jesus. He rose again. In the scriptures, we have this beautiful picture that at least two of the disciples had gone to the tomb because they'd heard something's not right here. And they'd gone and they found an empty tomb. And so they're uh, trying to figure out what in the world just happened. They're, they're dumb, right? The disciples are, you read the scriptures, the disciples are just dumb. That's the best we can say it. Jesus had told them over and over and over again what was to happen, and they still allowed their humanness to take over, and they didn't understand what was taking place. And now they are huddled together, these disciples, most of them, in an upper room, and Mary Magdalene has just told them that she also saw the empty tomb, and then she saw Jesus on the road. She saw him in the flesh, and so she's just exclaimed that to these disciples, and we pick up in their story in verse 19. Let me put it on the screen for you. John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, pretty fearless disciples, right? Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them after he rang the doorbell, right? Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Can you imagine? And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands, his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Verse 25, they told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them. Place my hand in the wound in his side. Verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my wound, in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Pray with me.
Jesus, add your blessing to the understanding of your word here. Would your word impact our hearts and lives as we have prayed already? And would you continue to do the work you have begun? Amen. I read a quote that says, more than half of the world is deep within, just like Thomas, afraid to believe. Millions of people sit in our churches around the world, even on Easter Sunday, and hear the old, incredible story, wishing it were so, yet fearing it is much too good to be true. And I think this is true. Uh, Maybe this morning we don't conscientiously object to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe we are not here, probably we're not here in opposition to the gospel. We're here because we believe to a point, we believe some things we have collectively understood that not all of these people can be all kooky, as crazy as we look. And so we believe to a point and we're here collectively. We're not probably here as atheists this morning. We have gathered in this place because we have a common thread of belief within us. And yet, I fear... That the church of Jesus Christ is not the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus established that even the gates of hell would not prevail today. Because deep down inside of us, many of us as the church, as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we have allowed those seeds of doubt to take root in such a way that causes us to hold back on expressing our faith to the world. Maybe you've grown up in the church like I have. And yet there's a seed of doubt inside of your heart that says, I, I, I don't understand enough to tell someone else about it. Or I'm a little fearful that someone's going to ask me something that I don't know that I fully believe in this theological hugeness that surrounds the church. And so we kind of pull back and we become lackadaisical about our willingness to believe with our actions what we believe in our hearts. So, what are we to do? Are are we just to agree, yep, I got doubts, I gotta get through those. Hopefully, uh, those doubts go further away. Hopefully, God proves himself more and more. Hopefully, I I, I experience something in this life that allows me beyond a shadow of a doubt. Hopefully, God eventually, in my doubt, moves my Bible from one side of the room to another, and I can finally believe fully. Then I'll be serious about my faith. How do we debunk our doubts? What safeguards can we put into place that can both protect and empower us in our faith? Help us to grow so that in those times when we do face the hurdle of doubt, we can be prepared to leap over. Uh, Maybe these are our spiritual vitamins that help us to run the race marked out for us. This morning I want to discuss, again, three holy responses to the subject of doubt. Three holy responses. The first is this. It's this. Expose yourself to the light. The verses that we've read together say, again, this Sunday, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors, secretly because they were scared. Suddenly, Jesus is standing in front of them. I love this picture for many reasons. And he says, peace be with you. And as he spoke, He showed them the wounds in his hands. He allowed them to experience him in the flesh. His very presence. Who wasn't there? 
Thomas. Thomas isn't present in that moment. These disciples, scared as they were, still understood the benefit of being together. These disciples, unwilling to do what Jesus asked them to do, what Jesus taught them to do, dumb as they were, still understood the benefit of coming together as the body and helping each other through this difficult time of seeing their master, their savior, their king, the one who they thought was going to go into human earthly power. They gathered together, and yet one of them isn't there. Thomas wasn't in the place where he most likely would experience the Lord. I heard one preacher suggest that Thomas was probably back at the shipyard looking for work. Thomas was probably going back to a place where he was comfortable, where he knew some things because three days previous he had experienced the most difficult day, no doubt, of his life as his king was crucified publicly. I think we understand that trying to have a relationship with God without Christ's body, without his presence, is like maintaining a long-distance relationship with our spouse via text message. Maybe we can do it for a week or two because of work or travel, but it doesn't work over the long haul. We need presence. We have been designed for community. God's word defines the church as Christ's body again and again. There's a literal sense in that definition in which Christ is uniquely manifested. He is personally present in the fellowship of his people. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning because we believe God is evidenced in our fellowship. Exposing ourselves to that light of his presence by being a part of a Christian fellowship is not uh, something that we can just uh, check off of a list and say, I did it last week or I did it for an hour on Sunday and so I have experienced enough of Christ to make it through this world, this week, this life, this election, this whatever. We have to be people devoted to being people of the light, exposing ourselves as much as possible. Do we have our problems as the church of Jesus Christ? Oh yeah. Is it still beneficial For us to be a people who congregate together for the growing and discipling that takes place, for the worship and the edification and the transformation that takes place in these seasons and these opportunities, absolutely. I told First Service that one of my favorite things since coming here to Hyde, to be able to witness firsthand, has been how well, Hyde Wesleyan Church does in many instances of being the church. I, I love some of our format of communication within our, our church that people call the church throughout the week and, and they'll call the office and they'll offer a prayer request and ask that it goes out to our prayer team, people who have signed up to be on that prayer list that gets a phone call when a prayer request goes out. And, and I love how people will call back in to find out if we haven't responded, if we haven't uh, let them know an answer to prayer, or if they, if they are unsure of who that family is and maybe the result of that, people will check back in. I love it on Facebook, too. We see it often. Somebody uh, posts a prayer request, and they'll ask for prayer, and people will say, praying, praying, praying. They'll comment on that kind of a thing, and they'll let them know that they're praying in that very moment. And then maybe a couple days go past, and someone 
goes back down in that list of prayer requests and they'll ask again, hey, how are things? They'll check back in. And what I love most of all, not just that that happens, but that that happens without us, meaning us who are here on staff at the church, asking for it to happen. You guys are pros at checking in and loving people. We are really displaying in those moments what it looks like to be the church of Jesus Christ. We do it well. We can do it better. There's holes in some of that. There's people who don't feel connected. Just, there are people who come to church here on a Sunday morning, and we want to give them every opportunity just to come here and kind of fit in for a couple Sundays. Just be amongst us. Be spies. We don't ask people to shake hands with someone who looks different than them because you'd all be shaking my hand. Oh, we don't ask people to be singled out and say, oh, you're visiting with us this morning. Why don't you come on up here and, and play the harmonica or play us a little song? I, would, I had some experiences in my life going to, I went to a different church every Sunday for a whole semester when I was in college. I'd grown up in the same church. Wherever my dad was pastoring was the only church I ever experienced unless we were on vacation. And so I wanted to understand what I'm getting into if I'm going into local church ministry I wanted to experience some things, and I got singled out in some pretty funny instances. Ask me uh, about those things. I'd love to tell you. So we don't do that. We're good at that. But in the same way, uh, some people kind of fall through the cracks and don't get checked on and don't get found out about. Some of us, we're in a larger church here in Clearfield, right? Some of us uh, see someone here on a Sunday that we don't know. Anybody see anybody in this room you don't know? Come on. Some of us don't know everyone in this room, and we come with this presupposition that says, I don't know who they are, but man, maybe they've been coming here longer than me. And so I don't really want to go introduce myself or ask them their name or find out anything about them because they're going to think, hey, I've been going here longer than you. You're laughing because we're guilty together, right? Well, we talk about it on Wednesdays. We're talking about you, all of you. As we get together for staff meeting, we're going through pictures, and we're stalking you on Facebook. I mean, we do it. <laughs> I shouldn't say we. I do it. <laughs> I know everything. And we're looking at you, and somebody in staff goes, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen them here on Sunday morning. Someone on staff says that. And Pastor Bob goes, I've been having lunch with them for six years. I have no idea who some of you are. We have to be willing as the church, as we expose, as we hope that people will be exposed to the light of Jesus Christ through our body. As good as we do some things as that part of the body of Jesus Christ, we can do it even better. Let me encourage you, just like we talk about as a staff, if you don't know who someone is, welcome to the club. Just be willing to go up and introduce yourself. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I've had to eat these words. I, 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 I don't know. I get, into, I get into little sweating fits. When I see someone across the way and I'm like, I should know who they are. And I don't find them in my apps, my cheating apps. I don't find Pastor Bob's far away. He knows everybody, by the way. Uh, but he's far away, so I can't ask him. And, and a person's walking closer to me, and I'm getting nervous that I don't remember who they are, but I think I should, and maybe they serve on our board, for goodness sakes. I don't know. I'm really nervous. 
And so I will just go, uh, most of the time, I will, I'm not perfect. I, I get scared. Sometimes I'll go, hey, I, I don't know. Have I met you before? Pastor Stephen, you ate dinner with us last week. No, they, that usually doesn't happen. It, it, it's usually, yeah, you did. You did like six weeks ago. We had the same interaction, and you were just as scared six weeks. It's good. It's good to be in confusion together. We have an opportunity to grow in that light. So be willing to find someone that you don't know and get to know them. We have an opportunity to grow in that area, and I hope you will with me. A second response to doubt, a holy response, the second thing is to be honest with our personal issues. Anybody, first service, a bunch of people raise their hands, but they're a lot more unholy than we are, right? (laughs) Anybody got any personal issues? Okay, yeah, good job, wow. No husbands, good job, guys. <laughs> we got some personal junk. We're, 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 we're people uh, with, with, with baggage, right? We're people who have experienced stuff in this life that maybe we're not proud of. Maybe we don't put on display. We're people who've experienced life and those experiences in our life, those experiences in our life have caused us to react to life the way we react to life, good and bad. We respond to things in this life because of experiences we have. We, we've been jaded, maybe, by putting ourselves out there in a relationship with someone else in another church, and we're scared to let it happen again. There's this crazy pastor who comes up to us on Sunday morning and says, fill out your connection card, and we're like, I'll never give you my phone number. <laughs> right? Because we've been telemarketed by every political party invented. Be a part of a life group, we say, and you're like, uh-uh, I'm not, letting, I'm not going into anybody else's house because then they want to come into my house. And if they see my house, oh boy. We're people who have experienced things. This way of debunking doubt and dealing with this very real hurdle of doubt requires us to be honest about who we are. From the text, verse 25 says, the disciples tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. They're giving him the facts. We, you know us, we we have seen him. And Thomas says, unless I see, unless I feel, unless my fingers go in, I'm, I'm not believing. I think it's true that doubt is often more emotional than intellectual. We're, We have a reason to hold back and say, I'm not going to believe that. Doubt is rooted often in the heart more than in the head. Facts are not the same as truth. Truth is far more than mere quantifiable information. These disciples are stating facts to Thomas. They are saying, we have seen, maybe it's 10 other disciples in this moment who have experienced Jesus. We don't have all of those details, but maybe they are all saying, we saw him. You have to believe us. They are first eyewitnesses to Jesus' presence in that place. And Thomas still says, no, I don't believe it. Think about the differences in the two disciples we talk about often, Peter and Thomas. Peter maybe was a a glass half full kind of guy. Maybe. Uh, Peter was quick to react to some things. Uh, He sees a ghost-like figure on the lake and he says, Lord, if that's really you, just ask me. I'm kind of doubting whether you're a ghost or, or maybe our Lord. If that's really you, just ask me to come to you. Jesus asks him to come. He walks on water, experiences a miracle. Yeah, I make some mistakes in that moment. 
Peter is so sure that Jesus is who he says he is that he's willing to defend him with a sword on the night of his betrayal. Remember that? He's willing to take action. Peter's the one up on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' glory is revealed to him, James, and John. And Peter's like, this is so real. Let's put up some tents and stay in this moment forever. He's a practical guy. He, he, he's dealing with things on a level. He, different than Thomas. Thomas is like, I'm sure you guys believe what you saw. I'm sure for you that's truth, but I'm just not going to believe it. You see the differences between Peter and Thomas? Do you know how different you are than me and I am than you? And can I tell you that we know in Scripture, Jesus loves both of these disciples. Both of them have their flaws and their hiccups and their mistakes. Both of them are deeply loved by Jesus. Let's be honest about our personal issues. Some of us have built-in biases. Some of us have built-in things, and we say things like, that's just the way I am, and I'm not going to be any different. Can I tell you some good news? Jesus changes the way we are. Some of you, I've heard in the past two-plus years of being here at Hyde, I've heard some incredible stories of transformation. Some of us are are dispositionally awkward, right? It's just who we are. We've experienced some things that have just made us that way. Pastor Bob is famous for telling me again and again and again, if we only knew the story behind some people, if we only knew why people are the way they are, we would see with different eyes. And Jesus is in the disposition-changing business. Jesus is within a a, a heart-change, transformational, identity-changing business. He wants to change us. Be honest with your personal issues. Third, finally, believe beyond the senses. Again, Thomas's reply to Jesus or to the disciples, unless I see the nail marks, unless I put my finger where the nails were, put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Can we admit that the optic nerve cannot be the sole determining factor of belief in our lives? Thomas shut his mind off to all other evidences of reality except what he could grasp with his senses. He saw Jesus die. In reality, seeing and touching are a small part of what we can know and believe with confidence. Jesus calls Thomas out in verse 29. Because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who is that? You know, it's us. We haven't seen the physical representation of Jesus Christ in flesh. As much as I wish, on Thursday nights in my life group, that we could lock all the doors and Jesus would just show up and sit and drink coffee. Sheets brand coffee. Holy. As much as I wish he could just show up, come through the back door, show up unannounced, in the flesh, and all of us in that room would just go, We have to believe beyond our senses. I am 
a man of faith, not because I've experienced Jesus in the flesh. I haven't walked in the sand and seen two sets of footprints sometimes and one set of footprints another time. But I like the poster in the, in the poem. I've experienced the presence of Jesus in my life in ways that I can't explain, in ways that don't make sense on paper, in ways that wouldn't hold up in a court of law a scientific textbook. I've heard stories and seen things in my years on this earth that allow me to stand firm on a faith. A faith that, yes, has occasional seeds of doubt. But in those seeds of doubt, I hold fast to the truth that I know. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus seems to indicate a richer blessing for those of us who believe without definitive visual proof. It goes against what our culture says we need or want. We want all the fine print. We want the facts. We can handle them. And I want to remind us that we do see the signs of Jesus Christ all around this world. He answers our prayers, He performs miracles. And he solidifies our faith. We live in a world that thrives on believing what's seen. As Christians, we're called to live in a faith of the unseen. We believe often what we cannot see. We trust in Jesus. We believe in his goodness beyond our sight or our touch. The doubting Thomas in all of us often comes to the surface at one time or another. We can be sure of that. And we can be prepared for that too. We have another common ally in Scripture when it comes to doubt. His story is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole passage to us this morning, but in this story in Scripture, we have a, a father of a son who's possessed by demons. And a crowd is gathering around Jesus, and this father is trying to seek an audience with Jesus. And we read in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus is taking interest in this situation. And he asks how long this has been happening, and the father says, since he was a little boy. And he goes on to explain that the spirit, this possessed spirit over his body, often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. And the father says to Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus' response Mark chapter 9, read it this afternoon, verse 23. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And here's where this man becomes our ally this morning. The father instantly cries out to respond to Jesus. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are in this journey of faith. All of us have different stories. We all have different experiences that make us who we are. We're all on a, a, a different area today, a different point in time in our walk in faith, in our race that ends with Jesus at the finish line. But this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you if you are experiencing doubt in your life, you're in a safe place. If, you, if you're confused about some things in Scripture, I think all of us can say, welcome to the party, welcome to the club. 
This is a great place to have doubts and work through doubts. Can I also tell you that our God is big enough for your biggest question? Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what question or seed of doubt we have and allow to even speak, God is still God. He can handle it. Can I handle it if you come into my office and ask me some question that makes me go, I don't know, but God can. He loves us. He's the same, and he gives us strength to face the hurdle of doubt. Would you stand with me? Maybe this morning you need to take the first point to heart and expose yourself to the light. Maybe you need to find more opportunity to spend time close fellowship, close in fellowship with Jesus Maybe that's best done by being more regular around church stuff. Maybe you need to get involved in a a life group, home group, one of our small groups, fellowships that take what we experience here and move it to a smaller scale where we can literally do life together. Maybe this morning you need to deal, be honest with your personal issues. Maybe you have a proclivity to doubt and you need to just admit it. And ask God to do a work inside your heart. Maybe you're a skeptic by nature. And you need to say, God, change me at the core. Maybe this morning you need to believe beyond your senses. Stop asking for God to move the Bible from one side of the room to the other. Believe in his promises. Trust fully in who he is. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord Jesus, We admit we are fallen, broken people. Believe in my heart collectively we have a desire to run full after you. We want to, as the lyrics say, we want to look full on your wonderful face. And so we ask, again, as the lyrics of the old song say, we ask that the things of this world would go strangely dim in light of who you are. We admit there are seeds of doubt planted in us by the enemy, by the culture around us, by the principalities, the the ones who rule this earthly kingdom right now. And we pray against those things. We pray that you, Lord, would give us the strength as we face those doubts daily. We pray that you would give us the strength to overcome, to be people of the light, to be honest with our personal issues and to believe beyond our sight, our sound, our touch. Would you restore unto us that knowledge beyond emotional experience? Restore to us the truth of who you are. And would you be enough for the darkest of days. We praise you and we ask your blessing upon all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the peace of our Lord Jesus this week. Experience his presence every day.